Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Delighted to welcome my first guest of the series, a man who just this week has announced his decision to take a new path to his career. He's been a very successful jockey since moving here from Northern Ireland over 20 years ago. He's tasted Group 1 success with Twilight Sun for a man who was his biggest supporter for many years, Henry Candy. He's had successful spells riding for other big prominent trainers like Martin Meaden. He's been riding all around the world for the last couple of years, but he has decided the time has come to try something a little bit different. And I'm delighted to say that I can catch up with him about his life and career. Now he is, of course, Fergus Sweeney. Fergus, welcome and thank you for being the, the first guest of the new series. No problem. Thank you for having me, Nick. And a, a big week for you, a week where you've made headlines, new career, starting as a as a BHA steward. They used to say this was poacher turned gamekeeper. But these are <laughs> these are different times. These are straightened times. How how did it come about? Um, basically, I, I applied for the position um, just to show a little bit of interest. Maybe I thought you know something I would like to do further on down the line, and they came back to me and said, "Yeah, we'd love to have you." So um, were you quite surprised? Yeah, I was. Yeah, so it was. Uh, it was a couple of sleepless nights thinking, you know, I'm at a crossroads now. What do I do? Spent a week thinking about it. Spoke to all my friends, family, and it just started to sink in, and it just just felt right. Just felt the timing was was right, you know. So you were obviously having an eye on a, a post-riding career, which is why you, you applied in the first place. And, yeah. And then they rather wrong-footed you by saying, yeah, we actually want you to come and do the job. So it must have been quite quite a difficult moment for you in some respects. It was, yeah. As I said, you know, I definitely had a couple of sleepless nights, but um, just as time went on, you know, everything just started to feel right. And, I'm, you know, I'm 100% sure I'm making the right decision. Well, we'll talk more about the, the latter stage of your riding career in, in a few moments' time. But I sort of wanted to know where it all began, to be honest, where this, where this career started and, and how it's lasted as, as long as it has. Um, just started as many kids do, just ponies, pony club. Um, came up through that way and I was lucky enough that my father had um, a couple of small shares with National Hunt Horses with Jeremy Maxwell and Don Patrick. So school holidays and weekends, I used to go down there. I stayed with Brian Hamilton, who was very helpful um, early on, getting me riding better. Um, he was Jeremy's uh, amateur at the time, so I used to stay with him, go into work with him. And that just moved on to, um, well, I, my, my passion was National Hunt. You know, um, if I'd have been a bit heavier, you know, I'd have definitely been a National Hunt jockey. but. Since I stayed light, I thought it was uh, sensible to stay on the flat. But, um, yeah, so I moved on to going to the Curra. Another um, jockey, um, a, f a friend of my father's, Philip Laurie, he used to be a, uh, a good lightweight jockey in Ireland. And I stayed down there for uh, two months. And uh, my father said to him, just do whatever you can to put him off, right? I don't want him to be a jockey. <laughs> So after two months, he came back and he said to my dad, listen, I've got good news and bad news. He says, the bad news is I can't put him off, but the good news is he can ride. So, so, so there, there was a future there. What was it like, the, the transition from, from Dan Patrick to the, to the Curra? Yeah, well, it was different because that, the Curra was, that was my first sort of introduction to a flat yard. As I said, my passion was always, you know, national hunt horses. So it, it was a little bit different, but I um, enjoyed it, you know, and... I knew I knew at that stage that was what you know the the career path I wanted to take you know. And you were very young, and yeah. I'm guessing it's the first time you've really been away from home for any any length of time. Yeah, I left home at sixteen, and yeah, that you know took some persuading to you know 
for my parents to let me leave, but thankfully they did. And, and how did you find that? Were you, were you okay straight away? Did you say, well, were you quite good at looking after yourself? Well, it was, I had to go to the British Racing School because it was a means of getting placed in a yard in, in the UK, you know. So um, that was hell because I could ride, you know, and I was on this 10-week course with people that were learning how to do the, the rising trot. So mm. I think for the first two weeks I was going mad. At, you know, I was definitely on the verge of going back home, but thankfully I stuck with it and... Um, yeah, that was a means to getting placed in a yard, so it had to be done. So you did your course at the British Racing School when mm. you moved to when you moved to England. Uh, was there any sense that you might have stayed in Ireland, or were you always going to come here? No, I made the decision very early that um, you know there was going to be more opportunity here. Um, so uh, yeah, my mind was made up very early on. And where did you land? Where did you land when you finished at the BRS? I actually landed at Mick Shannon's. Yeah, I had my first ride for. Um, make probably within six months of getting my license so um, I probably stayed with him just about a year and a half or so he had five or six apprentices then and opportunities you know they didn't come along too often so but um, yeah um, enjoyed the place learned a lot from Mick and he was very good to me what what was he like what was he like as a boss I think you know <laughs> you can hear him before you can see him put it that way <laughs> But, you know, fair, fair guy, you know, nice man. And um, I learned a lot. Uh, at that stage, Richard Hughes was stable jockey, so he was very good to me also. Mm-hmm. Used to ride a lot of work with Hughesy, and um, he was very good to me. Did you try and model yourself on him or anyone, or did you just try and find your own way? I think <laughs> I don't think many can style themselves on Richard Hughes. But um, if you try, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. No, I just, I just rode how I was, you know, it was natural to me. So where did the, the Mick Shannon uh, connection end and, and what came after that? Um, I went to, um, got offered um, a job with Martin Mead when he trained at Ladieswood Stud. So he had obviously not, not the type of horses he has now, he had sort of 25, 30 low grade handicappers, but um, I moved down there and uh, yeah, we had a couple of good years there. Um, yeah, and that was, you know, that was a partnership that sort of was on and off for, <laughs> for the rest of my career, really. Yeah, because latterly, since he sort of had yeah. the better horses and he was trading in Newmarket before he moved to Manton, you, you rode quite a bit for Martin as well. I mean, he's a, mm. a very interesting man, entrepreneur, knows his own mind. Yeah. You've obviously maintained something of a relationship with him for, for quite a long period of time. Yeah, exactly. When he uh, moved into Soft, Sefton Lodge, um, you know, I, I, I rode a few winners for him and he asked me to come back as stable jockey. So I was on a, an agreement there. And um, you know that that lasted another couple of years, I think, before I, I broke my heel and I was off for a good amount of time. I mean, just looking at your career, you, you've not had associations with that many people. You've stayed quite loyal to to trainers. Are you someone who enjoys being part of that team, yeah, 100%. rather than just herring around the country? No, that's always been very important to me. I feel you know I, I like to be part of a team. I like to um, get to know the horses and and. Um, you know, get to know the lads and just, yeah, feel feel like I'm in a team, you know. Um, with that in mind, was there never a, a consideration to to train or, or still be part of a stable or part of a yard? No, I was never really interested going down that route, if I'm completely honest. Um, it just, um, listen, I, I, I would love to train horses, but um, it's just everything else that comes along with it, really. 
And I suppose if there's one trainer that you'd be most inextricably associated with, it would be Henry Candy, for whom you rode yeah. a lot of winners. And rode your biggest winner as well with, mm. with Twilight Sun. Hugely experienced, vastly respected trainer. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about him and, and what it was like to ride for him. I had some very good days there. Um, I think I had my first ride for him in 1998, a horse called Speed On, Peter D. London. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, that was at New Brainy, actually. He wasn't racing that day. And... Um, he won, and uh, you know, as a kid, you get on the phone, and you're hopefully gonna, you know, gonna ring him and get a bit of praise. And he answered the phone, and he said, "Oh, well done, Mr. Sweeney." But my assistant trainer was there, so there was no need to ring me. And I was like, "Ah," oh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I knew early on. Um, that's just how he operated, and um, you know, he just let you get on with it. Um, if you rang him to ask about a horse, his reply was usually. You know it better than me, so um, he very much let you get on with your own things. You know, he, he trusted you that you knew the horse. And very easy to ride for, didn't complicate things, and yeah, had some very nice winners for him. When you were talking about Mick Shannon, you say you'd, you'd hear him before you could see him. That's not the Henry Candy style, is it? No, not at all. No, I don't think I've ever seen him lose his temper. No, and he, presumably, somebody whose actions speak louder than words. So if you were in favour, you'd get the rides, and if you weren't, then you probably wouldn't. Yeah. No, he's a very well-respected man, and um, I really enjoyed riding for him. It was just it was just easy, you know. Uh, there was nothing complicated about it. Sort of back end of the of the naughty, sort of 2009-10, you were riding quite a lot of winners. You're knocking mm. in 50, 60 winners in a, in a season. At, at that stage, did you think your career could push up maybe even to to the next level, to be challenging for sort of 100 winners a season? Well, I always hoped that. Um, you know, I'd never set the world light, but as you say, I was, you know, consistently sort of 500, 600 rides a year, 50, 55, 60 winners a year um, for, this, you know, the good part of 15 years probably. Um, I think 2016 was a hard year for me because after, after winning the Group 1 on Twilight Sun, mm-hmm. I thought... You know, 2016 could be my year, and you know the the wheels sort of came off that year, um, and that was you know that was disheartening because off the you know off the off the back of the Group One winner, you're you're thinking yeah you might just get get to that next level, and it it didn't happen that way. Uh, so you had the the highest of highs, and then suddenly things things weren't really happening, and I I'm guessing you in your own mind of try to analyse why over and again. Have you come to any conclusions? No, and it's something that I'm not bitter with. That's just, I think, in racing, you've just got to be in you know, the right place at the right time. And for whatever reason, it just didn't happen that year. But it was disheartening because I really, you know, after 2015, I was buzzing that, you know, we could get to that next level, and it didn't, it didn't happen. But I'm not bitter about it, and, you know, that's racing. We all know that. And you proved to yourself you could hack it at the top level, and you won with Twilight Sun, the the Haydock Sprint Cup, and he was a he was a terrific horse, very talented yeah. horse. Um, would you would you say that was a definitive high point of your career? I mean, it sounds obvious because it was the Group One, but but for you personally, was it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, especially because I was associated with you know from from day one. Really, he was he was quite difficult at home. I think that's why yeah. I probably. You know, got got the leg up on him, and uh, we we definitely had a we definitely had a bit of a bond. You know, 
and here he is, uh, green and white colours. I think that's magical memory, the far side, isn't it? It is, yeah. Coming to challenge you. Um, but you, you've clung on grimly here. But he had other great days, and, and you weren't on board for those great days. How, how bitter a pill was that to, to swallow? Um, as I said before, I sort of I half expected it because when Cheveley Park stud bought into the horse, then it was, you know, they were always going to try and get Ryan. Ryan was always going to be the preferred jockey if he was available. Yeah. So I was kind of prepared for that. Um, it's a bitter pill to swallow, but, you know, once again, that's racing and, you know, that's what happens. So 2016 didn't really happen. So you got come to the end of that. And you decided to to head abroad and see what pastors and you might mm. might offer you. Now, you went to some extraordinary places and had a great level of success. Mm. You you couldn't fault your sense of adventure. Just talk us through the itinerary for that that period of time. Well, I got offered a job in India first in Hyderabad, and uh, I just thought, yeah, why not? You know, um, I was a bit stale at the time, and I thought this you know this will do me good. So I took a contract in Hyderabad. Um, Loved it, you know. Nice, nice lifestyle. Lovely people, you know. They look after you well. You stay in a hotel. You have a driver. Uh, you race twice a week. Um, and I was, I was lucky enough because um, the trainer I went out for didn't have brilliant horses, but I managed to get on a filly in the one thousand guineas. She finished second, and she went on to win an Oaks and a Derby. So. Um, within my first month so then the phone started ringing and that got me I was flying to mm. Mumbai and Calcutta and for all the big races after that so I, d I did get lucky there Was it fun? Yeah I, yeah, I had a whale of a time yeah loved, loved the place And was it as an intense an experience as other riders have told me it is with the crowds really close to you and if you get beaten on a favourite they well, <laughs> it's a different, express themselves. It's a different experience, yeah. I, I thought I don't think I got. Uh, I didn't experience getting hit by any flip flops running, but I've heard the stories. <laughs> but no, I loved the place, and um, it was a great experience. And you, you definitely, you know, you you still learn. At, you know, even at you know at my age, you still you still learn quite a lot around these places. Yeah, and one or two riders have got themselves into a spot of bother in in India. Did that did that worry you at all, or did you just think no. I'm going to give it a go? No, it didn't worry me at all, you know. Um, I've always kept my nose clean and I just get on with the job, you know. And Korea was another success story yeah, for so you? Yeah, so I went to Korea after that. Um, I did well in Korea, but the weight was a major problem out there. Um, you know, I was doing 53.5 kilos, which is my rock bottom, and I wasn't able to get the number of rides I'd like because you really need to be able to do 52 What's that in old money? 52, so about 8.4. Yeah, which yeah. is pretty light for you. Yeah, I couldn't get down to that, so um, got to stage. I, you know, I think I had a good strike rate. I was riding on a 20% strike rate, but they weren't going to relicense me because they said I wasn't taking enough rides. But I was, <laughs> you know, I said I can't take any more rides because, you know, I'm restricted by, what, by what, the weight. What was the experience like? Great. Once again, um, I think for the first month um, I was completely lost, especially uh, the language barrier is a big problem out there. Um, I was based in Busan. I think Seoul's a bit more westernised, but in Busan nobody spoke English. So you got an interpreter with the, with the job, but they were purely for, you know, race course, you know, they're for the track, track mornings and, um, you know, at, at the races. So once you, once you left the race course, you were on your own. So... 
you're just going around relying on <laughs> Google Translate. Um, but once once you get your bearings, um, it was a nice place to live. Um, and the racing was very well organised and run. You know, the KRA do, were doing a good job. So how long, uh, all told, were you away abroad? Um, I didn't... I wasn't licensed at all in this country 2018. Um, I had stints. I had the four months in India, the three months in Korea. I came back in between, but I just chose not to to get my license out. Mm -hmm. I just rode out in between times. And then I went to Mauritius after Korea. And was that important for you um, psychologically as well, just to have that experience of getting away, travelling, doing something a bit different? And, and did yeah. it have the desired effect? Yeah, 100%, yeah. I just wanted to shake things up a bit. Um, you know, I was just starting to go through a stage where I wasn't enjoying riding as much as I'd wanted. And that just freshened everything back up again, you know. It, yeah, it was, a, it was a good experience, and I'm glad I did it. I know it sounds odd because you were riding out there, but did it also make you think there's more to life than riding, than being a jockey? Yeah, I think you realise when, when you, you know, have a couple of stints abroad that um, <laughs> there's an easier lifestyle in other countries. You know, you have, you're only racing maybe two, three times a week. And it's just a bit more laid back. And it's not the seven, you know, the seven day rush, you know, and, the, you know, in and out of your car. It's just a bit more relaxed. You can, you can enjoy the riding a little bit more, I think. When you were going through your sort of more productive years, and there were many of them, when you were sort of riding a decent number of winners from a decent number of rides, but not at the very top level, mm. was that enough to sustain you? Was that enough to provide you with a comfortable living? Yeah, yeah. And I think as long as you're knocking in a few winners here and there, um, the bad days don't feel as bad, you know. The journeys home are, <laughs> are not as long. Uh, I think once you stop riding as many winners, then the day-to-day -day grind gets, it gets a bit harder. And I suppose if you're, if you're just in that kind of middle bracket, you're, you can always just see the precipice over which you don't yeah. really want to teeter. That's it, yeah. Um, you know, a couple of... When, you, when you're riding at that level, if you have a couple of bad weeks, people start saying, oh, his confidence is gone, you know, he hasn't had, had a win in a couple of weeks, and, you know, um, and that's a slippery slope, isn't it? As far as the, this decision is concerned, and we talked about it at the, a little bit at the, at the beginning of the interview, you, you're moving to, to something completely different. How do you think you will, uh, you will adjust to, to not riding in races most days? Um, I think it's going to take a while to get used to it. Um, I'm going to take a good holiday when I quit and um, yeah, I'm just going to just take a good few weeks off and relax and, and come back you know, fresh with a new mindset for a new role and uh, but can I emphasise I haven't retired just yet <laughs> <laughs> you, want some more, you want some rides for the I, next I six weeks I want some rides and I want some winners yeah. yeah. I interviewed you the other day at Salisbury because you hadn't had a winner for quite a long time yeah but I hadn't really fully appreciated that you'd been sort of away because the game goes on around. Yeah. This is the thing, and I, I work in it every day, and I, even I hadn't really kind of taken stock yeah. of exactly what you've been doing. It's hard to keep yourself no. noticed, isn't and it? And that was the frustrating thing because um, these statisticians, they keep picking up on, on all these facts, and they were saying I haven't had a winner for such an amount of days, and uh, but they don't realise that you know, you, you're going abroad and you're riding nice winners abroad. So, you know, they have this connection that you're not riding winners, so you must be riding bad. 
but you know, but it's it's not publicised what you've been doing in other countries, so it's, it's completely rubbish, really. It strikes me that you don't have any regrets. No, no, I'm not that type of person. Are you sure that had a singing career not manifest itself <laughs> a bit a bit sooner that that might not have been something you'd have you'd have gone gone into? I don't know. I I didn't I didn't know I was good enough until you. Uh, you told me. Oh, come on, I'm not the first person, <laughs> surely. Oh, I didn't think I'd be up to that level, though. I do enjoy it. It's something I'll, I do enjoy in my pastime. Well, this is not the last clip that we're going to play. Oh, really? Have you said, no, 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 no. I mean, this is a two-and-a-half-hour programme. I've got to get some mileage out of this. But I think, it, I think it, it's probably worth having a little look or listen. Are we going to look or listen? Listen. Here we are. Here's, here is Fergus Sweeney. do definitely <laughs> I, used to, I, I used to have curtains by the way that. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's happened to the curtains are they just in the dry cleaner yeah I think so right yeah. okay I, I wondered whether that was in Korea on a day where you had no one to talk no, to no that was back here excellent yeah. and, and you're saying your guitar needs a bit of a bit of work but I, yeah. I wouldn't know I, mean, I only started I playing the guitar actually in India because I was bored so I, yeah I bought a guitar a cheap guitar out there and um, I'm still getting to grips with it there's plenty of work to be done yet I mean, as far as I can see, the truth of it is you shouldn't be on this programme, you should have been on Celebrity X Factor last night. Well, I can keep that up my sleeve. Do you, do you, do you play and sing most days? Yeah. Yeah, most days, yeah. And do you find it, it's sort of good for the soul? Do you find it, oh, 100%, it lifts yeah. you when you're in a bad place? or it? Oh, yeah, definitely. No. relaxes you when you're tense? Yeah, I've always loved music, yeah. Um, you, know, it, you know, when you get in the car and you have three hours to Doncaster bit of music just makes the journey a bit shorter. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel Dubai.